Let me uh, open in prayer, and we'll get, uh, we'll get started. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful for this chance to assemble. We're thankful for all those who are part of the conference, all the hard work that's gone into organizing the events. We're thankful for all the speakers today, all the great information uh, that, that we have consumed. I trust, Lord, because of our time here uh, today, that we're more equipped to serve you, that we're sharper tools in your hands to be kingdom agents, that more are led towards Christ, more Christians are encouraged, and ultimately more glory is brought to you because of this event. I do pray these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. We have a challenging task before us. Um, 30 minutes to talk about economics, stewardship, and the common good, and that's all that's in the way of a steak dinner, right? The... Um, <laughs> And I was, I was telling my, uh, my son um, this morning, he asked me my topic for uh, the conference. I said, well, I'm speaking on economics and stewardship. He said, Dad, that sounds really boring. <laughs> you know, I kind of have to agree in one sense. Now, when most folks think of, of the term economics, right, most folks think of probably more like the science of economics, things like uh, macroeconomics, uh, you know, the national economy, uh, or microeconomics, uh, personal finance, and your 401k plan, and picking the right kind of stocks. And in truth, I know nothing about macroeconomics or microeconomics, but I'm speaking on economics. And stewardship, another term, right? You hear the word stewardship, and you think of what? All those guilt-inducing sermons your pastor preaches about robbing God in Malachi chapter 3, right? Uh, yeah, which also, you know, we've heard too many of those, right? And so these terms, what do they actually mean? And, and what are we after when we say economics and stewardship and the common good in this, this context? And so I've got a few things here by way of, of definition that I, I want to lay out for you. The, um, the term economics, the term economy, which is where, where we get economics from, obviously, it actually means, in Greek, it means the law of the house, the law of the house. And so when we say economics, what we're talking about fundamentally is housekeeping, uh, of ordering and arranging the things in the place where we dwell. And so if we take a, a wide-angle view here, and if we equate the world that we live in with the house, then essentially economics is the science of how we interact with everything that is. I wrote a, a book that you'll be receiving uh, in the mail after the conference is over called um, Every Good Thing. And like I was, I was, I was telling my, my four-year-old about this new book, and she said, well, Daddy, what's it about? I said, well, it's, it's about a lot of things. Uh, she said, oh, I guess a good title then, Every Good Thing. It's a, kind of about everything. I said, well, yeah, kind of, kind of. And then two days later, I heard her talking to her friend on the playground at church. And she said, my daddy knows everything and wrote a book about it, right? <laughs> <laughs> Which was, you know, better than my older daughter when she was that age told her friends that her daddy was a, daddy was a doctor, not the kind that helps people. <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> right, the, uh, and so uh, economics, we're talking uh, about arranging, dealing with, the things in the place where we live. It's, it's about housekeeping, right? And so that's not bad, right? Stewardship. Stewardship comes from a medieval English word, and the word is stig word. Stig, uh, meaning house, weird meaning keeper. Uh, and so about housekeeping, a very similar concept. Right? The um, difference is that where economics deals with more of the action uh, of what we do, 
we, we interact with what is, with all that's in the world. Um, our, our bodies, other individuals, our finances, our jobs, our churches, everything that's before us, we interact with. That's, that's action, that's economics. Stewardship is housekeeping, but loaded into the word is the idea of accountability. Uh, and so a steward is one who engages in economics, but does so not of his own accord, but actually does so under the authority, under, under the leadership to one to whom he is accountable. Right? And so, of course, the one to whom we are accountable ultimately is the Lord. And so, by way of definitions, I would define here on the slide economics as ordering and arranging material things in the place where we live, broad action, and stewardship, I would refine a bit and say stewardship is actually management of the resources of another in order to achieve the owner's objectives. And so to go back to our wide-angle illustration, if the house that we live in is God's house, and economics is how we order and arrange everything that is in the world, in the house, it's not just doing it as we please, but rather it's the management of the things in the world in a way in such that it achieves the owner, the Lord's objectives. Huh? And so it's not just every man for himself. No, it's every man interacting in order to achieve God's ends. And that includes in regard to everything, in regard to our finances, yes, in regard to our families, yes, in regard to our physical bodies, in regard to our vocations, in regard to the smallest and largest thing that we do each and every day. It's all housekeeping. It's all about ordering, all about accountability to God, and hopefully getting it right. And so the talk I was asked to give, economics, stewardship, and the common good. What's the common good? Easier term. Common good is just simply personal and societal flourishing. And, you know, it's, it's so good that in God's word, God doesn't just tell us to do things. I mean, he does, right? And we all know that the scripture is full of directives. It's full of commands. It's full of moral laws. It's full of standards. And we're accountable to God for them. But God doesn't just tell, the, tell us to do things. God actually makes us to do that which he tells us to do. Right? And that is actually good news because we're living in the world that God made. God designed it good, as has been explained in previous talks, right? He makes us in his image, as Drs. Quinn and Strickland talked about, uh, to, to work and have vocation. And our working, our vocation, as Dr. Ashford said, is, is imaging him, image-bearing, if you will, right? And as we do that, as we, God's image-bearers, live in the world that God made, so we are to exhibit good economics, good stewardship, keep the rules, if you will, but we were made to do it. And thus, as we do it, so the common good prevails. And you can think about this really in regard to any realm of life. I mean, the, um, there was a book written about 10 years ago that caught my attention. I was in Barnes & Noble, and the, the t title of the book um, was The Unexpected Legacy of Divorce. I thought, interesting title, right? So I picked it up, started reading through it. Secular book written by a sociologist, no Bible verses at all quoted. What she was saying is, you know, back in the early 60s, 
when we had the sexual revolution uh, and this idea of, of just free love and do what you want and no-fault divorce, we thought that it was going to go great because it was empowering people to freedom to do what they want. But now that we've had a couple generations of marriages under that rubric, and there's been children born that have been taught nothing but that, we see that kids actually don't do so well in broken families. And who would have thought, right? And, and so the unexpected legacy of divorce. Well, who would have thought? We all ought to have thought, right? Because God doesn't just tell us to do things. He makes us to do what he tells us to do. And as we do that, which he tells us, we're going to be playing the tune that we were designed to play, singing the song that we were designed to sing. And when we do that, so we flourish, right? Human flourishing. And so economics, stewardship, and the common good, this is, is the, the broad umbrella. We're simply just talking about living in the world, housekeeping in the world, arranging what's here, interacting with what's here, doing it in the way that God has told us to do it, the way that we were made to do it. And as we do it, thus we can expect flourishing. And so those concepts. A few other large concepts here that we'll, we'll start to, to unpack, and that's probably about as much time we'll have. We'll see here as, as we go forward how much we can get to. But wealth and poverty. And so the, the umbrella, economics and stewardship, the goal of the common good, the goal of flourishing. Well, drilling down a, a level further, as we talk about doing this well, terms that come up oftentimes, wealth and, and poverty, right? But what do we mean by wealth and poverty? You know, if you ask most folks, would you rather be wealthy or would you rather be poor, what are most people going to say? Yeah, I'd rather be wealthy, right? I mean, that's what, what we all say. We all would rather be wealthy. But is that a good answer? Is that a good answer? And if so, why? If not, why? Just even kind of framing the question a bit. I mean, you've noticed certainly, just kind of thinking about this even just loosely, right? The concepts of wealth and poverty are relative concepts, right? And there's always somebody above you and always somebody below you in any context in which you're in. And even with time and culture, uh, contexts change uh, and, and the levels change, right? The, um, and so who here um, in the room thinks that your net worth including everything that you have, your clothes, all your material goods, your home, your car, everything. Who here thinks that you have a net worth that is greater than $56,000? Probably most of us, right? Probably most of us, right? Well, if your net worth, including, again, everything, is greater than $56,000, well, then you are above average, right? Because that is the average net worth of a person living on planet Earth today, including, again, everything. Who here thinks that your, your net worth is larger than $3,600? Probably almost all of us, right? $3,600 actually and $48. If you have a net worth larger than that, then you are above the median. That's the median net worth. In, in other words, half the people are greater than that, half the people are lower than that. And so if you're even just a seminary student, you probably have a net worth above $3,600, then 
you are statistically more wealthy than half the people currently on the planet. Uh, and so that's the median. The average is 56. Who here thinks that your net worth might be greater than $764,000? Maybe a couple of you, right? Uh, $764,000? That, that, that's, that's a lot. The, uh, including, again, here, everything. But if your net worth is above $764,000, you are in the 1% of people on the planet currently um, in regard to your net worth. Uh, and that's just today. Uh, but if we compare today to yesterday or to 100 years ago or to a different culture, well, then things change even more dramatically. Right? The, um, even when we talk about, say, poverty here in our culture today, right now, just a, a few stats I, I just pulled, pulled down. The, um, the government, um, as, um, for what it's worth, and, and they're measuring things, the government says that about 15% of Americans are classified as poor, right? below the poverty level, right? 15%. Well, 43% of all officially poor households in our country actually own their own homes. Um, and those homes statistically are a three-bedroom, one-and-a-half-bath home with a one-car garage. Uh, but you're officially poor, um, according to our government, right? 80% um, of poor households today have air conditioning as compared to 0% in Christ's day, 0% 100 years ago, right? Nearly three-quarters of poor households have at least one car. 31% of poor households in our country have two or more cars. Over 80% of poor households in our country have cable or satellite television. Right? And so how do we measure it? What is wealth and what is poverty and what is better and what is worse? See, it's really hard to pin down, isn't it? It's, re it's really hard to define. It's really hard to even place yourself in our context, let alone some distant context. Well, of course, the answer is always to go and check Scripture, right, and see what Scripture has, has to say. And so let's just kind of survey real quickly a few things that the Bible says about material wealth. Material wealth, and I purposely say material wealth, not spiritual wealth because some verses in Scripture are talking about spiritual wealth. But in regard to material wealth, we could say, we can make a pretty good case that it's actually good to be rich, however you define it, right, in your context or culture. And so wealth could be a blessing. Moses taught Israel, Deuteronomy 8, verse 18. Do you know it? He says that it is the Lord your God who gives you power to get wealth. And so God actually empowers people to get wealth. You think uh, just the narratives of Scripture. You think of all the godly rich people throughout the pages of Scripture. I think of the patriarchs, fabulously wealthy, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You think of Job. The, um, you think of David and Solomon and Joseph of Arimathea, all wealthy men whom God had given the power to get wealth, who walked with him, who did great things with their money. And so you could say, well, yeah, that's why I, I want to be rich, <laughs> because the Bible talks about it as being a blessing of God, for all these great examples, uh, and there you have it. Well, we keep reading, and we know that 
material wealth can also be a curse. Jesus taught what? Matthew 19, verse 24. It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. Doesn't really sound fair, does it? It sounds like the system's rigged. God gives you power to get wealth, but if you have wealth, it's going to be hard for you to get into heaven. Right? The, uh, well, why? So it sounds like it's actually not, not that good of a thing. Uh, if it's hard to come to faith in Christ because of it, the parable of the sower, Matthew 13, verse 22. You guys know the parable. Jesus taught that it's the deceitfulness of riches that choke the word uh, in some people's hearts and lives. And because of wealth, they actually don't enter into eternal life. Well, so maybe wealth is, is not su such a, a blessing. You think of all the characters in Scripture who were ungodly and rich. I think of all the apostate kings of Israel and Judah. Nabal comes to mind. I think of the rich young ruler, Matthew 19, 16 and following. I think of the rich man in, in the Lazarus narrative, Luke 16, 19 through 31, and on and on it goes. All of these examples of wealthy individuals uh, who were bad examples, were ungodly, uh, were led astray. And so, is wealth a blessing or is it a curse? And so we've got problem number one, how do you measure it in the first place, right? Uh, and then, is it good or bad? You say, well, it, it seems so hard to measure. Maybe it would just be better uh, if, we're, if we're poor. And certainly we can find some way of measuring it to say that we're poor, right? <laughs> because you can always find somebody above you. Well, material poverty but as with material wealth, hey, it's, it's the same story. Poverty can be a blessing. Of course, Jesus' disciples left everything and followed him. Christ's testimony was that he had no place to lay his head. Jesus himself taught in Luke 6, verse 20. He said, blessed are the poor. Right? The, um, and it's very clear, given the parallel woe, uh, in Luke 6, 24, he's, he's talking about materially there. When Matthew gives the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, Matthew's, Matthew talks spiritually. Luke talks materially. Blessed are the poor. Well, maybe then we should seek poverty if it's a blessing. After all, Christ himself was poor. Lazarus the beggar was poor and went to Abraham's bosom. The apostles all seem to have been poor. Maybe that's the way we should go. Maybe it's a blessing, but it can also be a curse, right? And so, just think of the book of Proverbs. You've, you've read it before. Proverbs 23, verse 21. The drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty, and slumber will clothe them with rags. Proverbs 28, 19. Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits will have plenty of poverty. Other verses that we could cite here. And so poverty may be the result of sin. It, it may be a curse. Matter of fact, in the Old Testament, like that's the number one curse that God gives his people. He says, hey, if you don't follow me, if you follow other gods, if you go wayward, then I'm going to send in invading armies, and I'm going to send droughts and famines, uh, and you'll sow and not reap. Um, others will, will take your material goods, right? The, um, and it's going to fall apart economically, and, and so the, the curse is going to come upon you in regard to your material goods, if you don't follow me. And so, is wealth a blessing? Is it a curse? What do, what do we do with this? Now, let me give you just maybe three, maybe four observations, uh, or, or you could 
perhaps call them conclusions. Uh, if we um, try to synthesize this material and a lot of other material that we could we could wade through, if time allowed. But, but three, maybe four conclusions. N number one is, is this. Money, um, wealth, poverty, uh, it's not inherently good or inherently evil to be wealthy or to be poor. You'll look far and wide in Scripture to find a, uh, an end-all argument, uh, a once-and-forever classification. It's always good to be poor. It's always good to be wealthy. And now folks have wanted to do that, right? I mean, we have all kinds of extremes. We have the prosperity preachers saying, well, hey, if you love Jesus, then you can be wealthy. Uh, and it's a sin to be sick and to be poor. And if you're poor, it's because you don't have any faith. Right? The, um, and so it's, it's, it's all wealth, right? And then we've got the monastics and the ascetics, right, on the other side saying, oh, we should all take vows of poverty. We should go live in seclusion. It's more godly to be poor, right? The... Um, well, you can certainly cherry-pick verses and examples and make a case on either side of the spectrum, but take the whole package. And I think, number one, my first observation or conclusion is that, inherently speaking, neither wealth nor poverty, poverty is good or evil. But number two, number two, while wealth and poverty are neither inherently good nor evil. And you could say it like this. You could say, in a sense, God's not concerned if you're rich or poor because neither state is inherently a blessing or a curse, right? While that's true, God is deeply concerned about why you are rich or poor and what you do, whether or not you're rich or poor, right? And so not the state itself, always a blessing, always a curse, to be wealthy or to be poor. But how you got there or didn't get there, and what you're doing wherever you are with it. Right? And so we could say, say it like this. You know, if, if, you're, if you're wealthy, um, man, because you have stolen uh, and you have withheld wages and you are a scoundrel and you are greedy, and you have a lot of wealth, uh, well then, G God is very concerned with that. Right? Uh, and that certainly uh, is not meritorious, not good, requires repentance. Um, if you're wealthy because God has blessed you and you are industrious and everything you touch, like Joseph, flourishes, uh, and, or you've, you've inherited some great fortune from somewhere, uh, well, then fine. Fine. Right? And so see, how did, how did you get there? Poverty. And if you are poor because you have taken a, um, a vow of poverty, uh, you've chosen to live a simple, austere life for the purposes of ministry or for the purposes of simplicity, or you've chosen a career path uh, that uh, is just not a high-paying um, occupation in our culture, um, and that's why you're poor, well, then fine. But if you're poor because someone has stolen from you, because you have been marginalized because of your age or gender or ethnicity, you've been shut out of the marketplace and circles of exchange, uh, and you have been oppressed and sinned against, and that's why you're poor? Well, no, God's very concerned about that, and that's wrong, and that's sinful, and that needs to be repented of and corrected. And so, not the state itself, right? But how did you get there, or how were you kept from getting there, right? And then, 
what are you doing with it? Right? And so if you are wealthy, if you are poor, how are you handling it? Are, are you poor uh, and envious uh, of everyone that has more than you? Are you trying to take from those that have? Are you trying to unjustly redistribute wealth? Um, that's not a good thing. Are, are, are you wealthy uh, and you're stingy uh, and you don't give and you don't support uh, and you overspend on yourself? Well, that's not, not a good thing. If you're poor and you're content, if you're wealthy and you finance the gospel, well, then praise the Lord, right? The, and so what are you doing with what you have? And so wealth and poverty in of themselves, not good or bad, essentially. But how we got there and what we're doing is the focus of, of Scripture. Just got 10 minutes left. I'm watching the clock. Don't worry. The... Um, let me talk here just in, in the last, last part here a little bit about um, the connection between material wealth and poverty and spiritual wealth and poverty. And so I, I said that I purposely had labeled it material wealth and material poverty. Uh, and there are many verses in Scripture that talk about material wealth, material poverty, uh, and uh, individuals who were wealthy or poor in a material sense. But the Bible also talks about spiritual wealth and poverty. Second um, Corinthians 8, verse 9 comes to mind. Paul taught the Corinthian church, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. Uh, and contextually there, Paul talking spiritually. He's talking about Christ leaving the glories of heaven, coming down and impoverishing himself uh, in the incarnation, emptying himself, a Philippians 2 sort of sense, right? Uh, and even tasting death on the cross. Why? That we might be made rich and we can all be millionaires and wealthy? Well, no, but that we might have the riches of, of God, might have spiritual wealth, right? And so, some verses talk about wealth in a spiritual sense. And a real important question to wade through, and we don't have nearly enough time to unpack this like I, like I would like to, but the question of how does material wealth and poverty relate to spiritual wealth and poverty? And this issue, it's, it's an issue, it's a question that if you get it wrong, you're going to find yourself falling off what I call the plateau of orthodoxy. And so we have this sort of you know, plateau of orthodox beliefs, right? The, uh, and you know, there's some disagreement maybe on the plateau, right? You know, but you can find yourself sort of going over the edge, right? And sliding down the slippery slope all the way to the bottom. And how material wealth and poverty and spiritual wealth and poverty relate, really, really important question. I've got a chart here on the next slide that um, may be too small for some of you in the back to read. And let me just talk through it. And then we'll conclude, starting in the, the upper, upper left-hand uh, quadrant of the chart is what I have labeled there in the larger green lettering, the prosperity gospel. What the prosperity gospel says is that seeking to find and define a proper relationship between material wealth and poverty and spiritual wealth and poverty, what they say is that material wealth is connected to spiritual wealth. Or you could say it in reverse. If you are spiritually wealthy, you will become materially wealthy. Right? The, um, 
And uh, I hope that we recognize the errors in that teaching uh, in saying that material wealth equals spiritual wealth and, and vice versa. If you have questions about that, there's a free book in your book bag I wrote on the prosperity gospel. You can, you can read about it in depth. But one of the reasons why it's so attractive and easy to sell is because there's a grain of truth here, right? Because if you are spiritually wealthy, that is, you're a Christian and you're flourishing, you're walking with Christ, you're probably going to tend to become industrious. You're going to become punctual. You're going to want to be a good employee. You're going to want to serve society well. And as you labor in that context, oftentimes, even as Dr. O'Quinn was talking about in his previous talk, oftentimes the gospel in the heart of a believer leads to material wealth. Uh, and so, grain of truth, but not always and forever truth, right? Because you could be spiritually wealthy and go into an occupation where there's not high pay. You could be spiritually wealthy and get cancer and not be able to work. You could be spiritually wealthy and get run over by a truck, right? And so it's not a fixed principle. It's just a possibility. To go down to the lower right-hand quarter, now, I've labeled this Job's friends just because I, I couldn't come up with a, a good categorical name for this. Job's friends, essentially, you've read the book before, right? Teaching that Job's material poverty, and of course, Job lost everything, right? Except for Mrs. Job, and she was like part of the curse, I think, right? <laughs> right? The, um, I mean, and, uh, and his friends come along, right? The, uh, and if you have friends like Job's friends, I mean, you don't need enemies, because they say what? They say hey, the reason why you lost everything is because you have some secret sin. You're spiritually poor, right? Uh, and so the application then is, man, if you're having a difficult time in your life, and it's because of some secret sin that you haven't confessed. Right? The, um, well, that's the exact opposite of the prosperity gospel. But even sort of as with the prosperity gospel, you know, in, a, in a sense, th there is a grain of truth here, right? And, and I, I read you some verses from Proverbs earlier. I'll read a few more. Proverbs says that a slack hand causes poverty, that mere talk tends only towards poverty. Love not sleep, lest you come to poverty. He who follows worthless pursuits will have plenty of poverty, right? And so if you are spiritually poor, that is, if you are lazy, if you are chasing pipe dreams, uh, if you are sleeping too much, right, the, uh, well, then you, you will engender poverty, right? And so spiritual poverty can produce material poverty, but not always. You could be spiritually poor and win the lottery, right? I mean, whatever, right? And so there's, it's not an always and forever connection, but because it's a sometimes connection, thus it resonates with some people. Two more. Lower left-hand uh, quadrant, materialism. Materialism is the, um, it's the preoccupation with the material world to the neglect of the spiritual things. And sometimes what happens is we err, that we see somebody who is materially wealthy, and we say, ah, um, that, that means that they must be spiritually poor. Right? And oftentimes that's true. You mean, you think of uh, Donald Trump as an example, right? The, um, where there, there is incredible wealth, right? Uh, and yeah, there is incredible spiritual poverty there as well, right? And so sometimes it's true, but not everybody who's materially wealthy is spiritually poor. And I, I praise the Lord uh, for business owners, entrepreneurs, wealthy individuals whom God blesses. Uh, and gives the gift of, of giving, and the gospel is financed through such individuals and families and corporations, right? The, um, and so 
Yeah, there is a connection, but it's not always a connection. And lastly, asceticism, upper right-hand corner. Material poverty equals spiritual wealth. This idea that if we really love Jesus, uh, that we'll sort of look on anything that's material with suspicion, um, that we'll give away all that we have, that there's something just plain meritorious about not having much. Well, that could be the case. Somebody could be spiritually wealthy and say, you know, I'm going to downsize. Um, I'm going to give away. Um, I'm going to purposely live a life of simplicity for the sake of the gospel. But it's not an always and forever connection. And so the question is, how, how do material wealth and poverty and spiritual wealth and poverty fit together? And, and the answer is this. They never fit together in an always and forever fixed requisite connection. They do fit together in a sometimes connection. Right? And so the error is not in connecting the concepts. The error uh, is in making them a causal, always fixed connection in saying, because I have this knowledge, I can then look at somebody who is materially wealthy or poor or spiritually wealthy and poor and draw automatic conclusions about their walk with Christ or about their bank accounts. I have plenty more to say, but our time's gone. Let me close this in prayer, uh, and we'll be dismissed, and we'll head off towards our steak dinner. Let's pray. Father, we are thankful again for this time together. I'm thankful for the, war, the, the material world that, that, that you've given us to live in. I'm thankful for, for the directions in your word, Father, that, that you have disclosed to us. Indeed, Father, we all confess that at times in the past, we, we have not done good economics. We have been poor stewards. Perhaps even we have viewed wealth and poverty, be it material or spiritual, uh, unbiblically. And, Father, we're thankful for repentance, Father, and forgiveness of, of sins. I trust, Lord, as we go forward, you would give us clearer knowledge of your word on these topics. You'd make us good economists, good stewards. And I trust, Lord, that as we seek to implement the truth of your word into our hearts, our lives, our families, our churches, our culture, I trust, Lord, indeed, that the common good prevails and that you're glorified. I do pray these things in your name. Amen.